0: from the capital of the commonwealth this is the sports huddle with bob black on 1061 espn we're also streaming live at espnrichmond.com and on the iHeartRadio radio app call in and talk with bob anytime at 3270888 now here's bob black with the sports huddle on 1061 espn
1: Hour two of the Sports auto underway for a Monday afternoon. Thank you for either joining us or sticking with us. If you were with us in the four o'clock hour, thanks for sticking around. And for those of you just maybe heading home, getting in the car, uh, thank you for joining us this afternoon. We, um, I admit it, we were fairly negative in the first hour because we talked about the Washington Commanders and we talked about the Virginia Cavaliers. And they were, they just gave us a lot of negative content. Uh, with which to talk and i guess i'll continue on that theme i almost thought maybe i'll go positive to start the five o'clock hour but we normally group uva and virginia tech together and try and balance it out so i guess i'll i would do that before we get to some of the more positive stuff like jmu and william and mary i love the vmi got a southern conference win and uh, richmond got a win on the road at, at stony brook uh, all of that but you know on the virginia tech front they were they were competitive as virginia was and lost 24-17 and i think i feel a little bit better about what happened with them than i certainly do with with uva now you know uva's 0 and 4 and tech's 1 and 3 so there's not a whole lot to really smile about for either one of them i felt bad for grant wells uh Virginia Tech and you know who knows how much he would have played if he'd been healthy and all of that but you know he's from West Virginia he went to Marshall uh he was there for what three years I guess before coming to Virginia Tech and you know he would have loved to have played in that game family friends former teammates all of that so I, I did feel you know feel bad for him I mean it's part of the game guys get injured we all know that um it's part of football it's too much of a part of football to be honest with you but it's part of football. And then Kyron Jones comes in and does a really nice job for them, I thought. Right? He ran ran for a couple touchdowns in the game and had him in position at the end to potentially have a um, game-tying, at least, drive in that game. Uh, he didn't throw the ball great. Uh, 19 of 35, 160 yards. Did a good job with his legs. And Basial Tootin, Um had a couple of no he had what 88 yards rushing uh, and the Hokies had you know 300 and almost 350 yards of, of total offense that's not bad and and again they had an undisciplined mistake down the stretch that that cost them as well but it was different than the ones we saw from UVA this was a, a false start penalty on the offense it's not great don't get me wrong by any stretch of imagination but at least it's a football play it's it's part of It's part of football. I don't know how to explain that because, um, you know, certainly the last of the three unsportsmanlike penalties on Virginia was a football play necessarily. The other two really weren't. They were just emotional, you know, outbursts more than anything. But Tech got called for the false start on fourth and one, you know, which is manageable certainly. Who knows if they would have made it on fourth and one, but, you know, it's reasonable to think they'd have a shot at doing that. And instead of fourth and one with a quarterback sneak or you give the ball to Tootin or somebody like that, uh, they had a pass. And the pass got broken up. And that pretty much ended it in the last half minute of that game. And they fall to one and three. So uh, not great either for Virginia Tech, just as it wasn't for UVA. The Hokies get Pittsburgh next. And I'll give credit to Tech fans. I really will to all you guys and gals. Uh, wearing the Hokie colors because Tech's already announced that game as a sellout. So good for you. Don't give up on your team, that kind of thing. Get out there. Now, I I don't know how many people are actually going to show up, um, but Tech is officially calling you to sell out. Hopefully everybody shows up and that you're there for Enter Sandman and you stay uh, for the game itself, for for the rest of the game. And maybe the home field advantage will help the Hokies this week against against pittsburgh i hope we can come back here next monday and be talking about a tech victory over pitt and a uva win over boston college Uh, it would help it would help everybody's demeanor uh, quite frankly. i I know if you're a Hokie fan you're probably not a cavalier fan and vice versa but we kind of need to get something going here with those teams in the commonwealth because i'll tell you what they are falling further and further behind teams like james madison that did it again on the road let's get to some positive stuff shall we Um, did it again on the road way out there on the road into into utah into logan utah all right now not a great utah state team it doesn't appear this year but they have had good teams i think they were a bold team a year ago right utah state Uh, so maybe not as good this year but still and the way jmu jumped out in front in that game. Look, they were up 24 nothing, basically after the first quarter. They scored on, like, the first play of the second quarter to make it 24 nothing. Now, credit Utah State. You know, they made a heck of a comeback into the second half. They were able to get the game even in the fourth quarter. And then let's give the Dukes some more credit. I mean, Jordan McLeod uh, needed, what, four plays in the last five, six minutes of the game? Had the big pass to Reggie Brown, the long 70, 74, 75 yarder. And then they hung on at the end. Then the defense made stops at the end. Something we were just talking about with James Carpenter last week, who was our guest on the sports huddle, the defensive lineman for JMU. Let me see. How, what kind of game did old James have? Another solid game. How about this? Okay. So this is, this is not the sports huddle jinx, AJ. We, we do not jinx athletes and coaches on this show. If anything, we help charm them. No, we, really, we didn't have anything to do Speak with it.
2: Speak for yourself. I yeah. seem to jinx everything. You do? Yeah, that, that's another show. That's Border to Border, where anytime Matt loses a bet I talk about, it, I jinxed him.
1: Ah, I'd blame it on him. <laughs> anyway, James Carpenter, who was our guest last week, right, from, from JMU. Uh, seven tackles, a quarterback sack, two tackles for loss, and a quarterback hurry. Uh, that's a pretty good pretty good day's work. Tied for second on the team in tackles in that game. I'm looking at the stat sheet right now. But uh, all sorts of credit to JMU. And look at the game Jordan McLeod had, would you? 23 of 34, 364 yards and four touchdowns. Now, he was picked a couple of times, so he's got some work still to do. And I, I'm sure Kurt Signetti will tell us that when we talk with him later this week. Um Kalon Black had 76 yards rushing to lead the way for JMU. Um, and and Brown, because of the 75-yard reception or 74-yard reception, had five catches for 160 yards in that game. And they go on the road for the third straight week and win a football game. I, I got get... a question. Whenever yes. Get...
2: yes. So James Madison, uh, they could go undefeated and they, could. they get nothing, right? like. If you're the team that wins everything this year, but James Madison was undefeated, how do you even accept?
1: Oh, of the... course you accept. Come on. Oh, it's gross. No. And look, they know what they signed up for, right? When they made the move from FCS to FBS, they knew the rules.
2: That's BS. And,
1: well, it might be, but until until somebody changes the rules, it's kind of what you you deal with. And, you know, there are ways you can try and petition, appeal, get a waiver. And the Sunbelt and JMU have done that. They tried last year and and it got denied. And I am actually okay with that. You know, don't change the rules in midstream. Now this year, and this is the last of it, it's done after this year. Um they do have the opportunity if there are not enough bowl eligible teams, meaning they don't have six wins then um, the Bulls could dip to a team like JMU and say, look, you've had a great year. We need a team to play. come play. And, of course, they would obviously raise their hand collectively and and be on their way. But here's the other thing I'm starting to hear, A.J., um, maybe JMU fans are still stomping their feet and waving their arms about this, but I get the sense from the players that we talk to that while, you know, they would love that opportunity – you know, they are comfortable with where they are and what they can do in that locker room and on their sideline and what they can accomplish just intrinsically amongst themselves. They can win every game they play, the next game in front of them, and they can finish the season satisfied with that because they know the rules. they yeah, they got to make peace with it. I think they have. I just think just and I don't know that we've directly and I think Matt's asked this question more than I have. And that is how impressed he is by the guys who have stayed through this, that haven't jumped ship and transferred because they want a chance to win a conference championship or play in a bowl game. And these guys have basically said, we love it here at JMU. We love the culture. We love that we win. Uh, we get the support that we get. And, you know, we're we're going to make the most of it as it is. I think that's a tremendous way to look at this, this thing. Now, in the meantime, should the administrators still be fighting for a change here, sure, go ahead and fight it all you want. But I really think these players, to use your phrase there, is great, A.J., they've made peace with this thing. And when they can go to Virginia and then go to Troy and then go to Utah State and win all three of them, I believe them. I, I really do think that they've made peace with this, and mentally they're prepared for playing a 12-game schedule, winning as many of them as they can, and then putting the footballs to in the closet for the offseason if – it comes to that, so just my thought on that. Um,
2: I'm glad they are. They they should take it that way, but me and other people are gonna are gonna say if they go undefeated, we're rioting.
1: That's fine. And now next this week will be a, a major crossroads for that because South Alabama is really good, and they're at least they're coming to Harrisonburg. The game is at, at Bridgeforth um, on on Saturday at and it's a high noon high noon kickoff on ESPNU. But, again, I just think while they'd rather, you know, obviously be eligible to win the division and conference championship and go to a bowl game, I I think – and I'll tell you what, to me the results tell me that this isn't just them speaking, that they truly believe this. And that that's one of the reasons they've won these games, and some of that's Kurt Cignetti uh, and his leadership style and the way he handles it. So all credit to them. I don't think it's going to change for this year. In fact, I know it's not. They're not going to play for a conference championship. I don't care what their record is. That's just the way it is. And here's the other point. It's done after this year. Beginning next year, they they, they are eligible. So if you were in Harrisonburg, if you were anything but a, and I still get confused because of the pandemic and, and red shirt and all that, if you were anything from a junior below, junior, sophomore, freshman You're eventually going to get that chance to play for a division title, conference championship, and a bowl game, right? As long as you stay in Harrisonburg, as long as you stay at JMU, right? Even the juniors should have two years left. They'll have a redshirt year if they didn't play as a true freshman. And I think they're the last group of pandemic-eligible extra year guys. I think we're down to the last one coming up here. So they will still have chances. It's like last year's senior group and this year's senior group that are out of eligibility uh, that won't be able to participate in that. And I actually think they're the leaders of the charge that says, we're here to win. Let's just win what we can win. And whatever happens, happens. And if we're done, we're done. So... Uh, kudos to them for that and again another huge test this week against south alabama at least it's a home game they got the next couple of games in fact um at home all right uh so that's a positive (laughs) despite the fact that we got into a little bit of the negative of jmu winning out there at utah state huge victory the way they jumped to that lead they were ready to play utah state made a furious rally and jmu found a way to still uh, win that game so positive stuff um for what i think we would all say I'm wearing this one out. Is the flagship program in the Commonwealth of Virginia right now the the James Madison Dukes at 4 and 0. You know, I meant to look real quick. I know we got to get we got to get uh we got to get rolling here. Let me look at something just real quick. Did they um you know, they're 4 and with three straight road wins. Did they get any votes? No, they're st- ah, they got a couple votes in the coaches poll. In the coaches poll, JMU did get um a couple of votes. They did not in the in the ap poll but tell you what if they win this week against south alabama i think you're going to see their name getting close and certainly getting votes in both polls so good for them all right five fifteen on the sports auto let's keep it rolling on a monday afternoon
0: these are this afternoon's top sports stories
1: i'm sure you'll be fascinated by all the uh, stories you have to tell
0: this is today's drive home
1: headlines Drive Home Headlines brought to you by James River Air. If you're not happy with your heating and cooling system, call James River Air for a free in-home consultation. Check them out online at jamesriverair.com. AJ, is it or is it not a headline? Taylor Swift was at the Kansas City Chiefs game yesterday in Travis Kelsey's personal suite headline or not a headline
2: the headline is week three sucked so bad that's the headline
1: (laughs) and it annoys me oh my goodness it was so much fun to watch the video and social media and all of that going viral and then we had like the eight second clip of taylor swift leaving the stadium with travis kelsey and what the heck was he wearing actually i would like to know that i guess it was something that caught the attention of a you know, music
2: superstar. Somebody told me European tuxedo. Is that what that was? I I heard that today. Okay. That's fair enough. I just thought it was a lot of fun.
1: I did. Maybe in my old age, I'm just getting softer. I just thought it was fun. I don't know where, who knows where it's going to wind up, but the whole thing, you know, the whole way he, he kind of got to her and she came to the game and she was screaming her head off and he scores a touchdown, you know, at the end towards the end of that game. It's
2: such a nice rom-com. There'll be a new
1: song, a new Taylor Swift song, you know, something about Travis.
2: You know what I think is fun? A coked-up Lawrence Taylor running around (laughs) the field. Because, you know, I like football.
1: Yeah, I know. I'm with you on that. That's why I asked you. Is it a headline or is it not? And look, I got to tell you, in Philly, they are all confused. They're all betwixt and between right now, right? Because she's a a self-confessed Philadelphia Eagle fam. So, look. they they got the wrong Kelsey. Well, exactly. But the other one's married, so let's lay off of that one. The Eagles' Kelsey is married. Um, But they are going to play later this year. You know, like uh, the Eagle fans, and after her concerts at Lincoln Financial Field, in which she absolutely came out and pledged her allegiance to the Eagles, this is before Travis Kelsey came along, you know, she better be wearing eagle green when they play. I'm, I don't, I don't like that, man. This
2: is a stunt, I think.
1: Maybe. Come on, they're they're both entertainers, just in different worlds. So anyway, I just didn't know if you thought that was a headline or not. I was but. clear. Yeah, you were. I liked it. Come on, I, I, like you said, the NFL yesterday was was blah for the most part. I mean, it became exciting just because of the record-shattering numbers that some of those teams were putting up. So, anyway, uh, 5.30, we're going to get back on the Virginia rant because Mike Barber from the Times-Dispatch is going to join us. We'll get his thoughts on all the penalties at the end and the fourth down decisions and uh, Calandria and how he's progressing as a quarterback and uh, all of that. The defense for the Cavaliers. So Mike joins us at 5.30 this afternoon. 804-327-0888 gets you on the air. It's also our text line. We'll move right along after a timeout on the Sports Auto 1061 ESPN.
0: This weekend, the Spiders play host to in-state foe Hampton from the 757. Catch all the action beginning Saturday afternoon at 1.30 here on one zero six one ESPN, your home of the Richmond Spiders in the capital city.
1: Um, that reminds me, the Philadelphia Phillies' magic number is one to clinch a playoff berth. There, I said it. I haven't talked about it all day long, but I am excited about it. And the Eagles play the first of the two Monday night games tonight at Tampa Bay at 7.15. All right, let me take a few minutes here to get into the Richmond thing from Saturday since we not only are the home of the Atlanta Braves, but we are the home of the Richmond Spiders, as you have heard. There have been several pro Bowls for that. As well. But I got to tell you, I was telling AJ this during the break, it's about as blindsided as I've ever been and others have ever been. If you didn't hear the story in the Richmond game, they wound up beating Stony Brook using a third string walk on quarterback to engineer what turned out to be the game winning drive. And normally, almost always, as part of the broadcast team and the travel party, Uh, Because we have really coaches that get it. They understand everybody's position and job. That they tell us what's going to happen, uh, who's available, who's not available. We meet all the time. And it's always very, very good, very open, very trustworthy. Um, But in this case, nobody really knew that this was happening. So I'll take you a little bit inside radio, inside baseball here. We are on the air. I have watched pregame warmups probably more closely than I normally do because of the rain and the wind. And I wanted to see how our receivers were catching the ball, our running backs were handling it, how our quarterback, Kyle Wickersham, was throwing it. So I did kind of closely watch him in pregame warmup and didn't notice anything other than he was throwing the ball okay. They come back out for the game. One of the first things we do on our broadcast, because it's sponsored, but we would do it anyway, is give our starting lineup. So Richmond gets the ball first, so I'm giving the Richmond starting lineup. And I always start with the offensive linemen and work my way out from there to running backs, wide receivers, and finish you know, with the star of the show, the quarterback, as I'm giving the offensive line starters – I hear in my ear, which my one ear, which means it's not going on the air, so you all aren't hearing it. But Matt Smith, our standout sideline reporter for many, many years, um, is in my ear yelling, Wickersham's not playing, Jackson Hardy is starting. Wickersham's not playing, Hardy starting. And I'm literally reading the starting lineup names. And now I'm thinking to myself, what is Matt talking about? And now I look down as the offense is coming on the field. And sure enough, there's number 12, Jackson Hardy, for the Richmond Spiders. And we knew absolutely nothing about it. As it turns out, Wickersham sustained an oblique injury uh, apparently Friday uh, during practice. And... Went out Saturday, tried to give it a go, went through pregame warm-up, and the decision was made that he wasn't going to play. And there was Jackson Hardy, the backup quarterback, who really didn't have a week's worth of practice with the offense. This isn't like something that happened on Tuesday, and they could have put him in there for several practices. Um, At least that's the way. I'll tell you, one of our offensive coordinators said to me getting on the bus after the game, even he didn't know until warm-ups what was happening. So it really blindsided everybody. It makes it an amazing story. And then Jackson Hardy was doing okay as the backup quarterback, particularly running the ball. He had like 60 yards rushing in the first half, and he he was doing okay. But he took a hellacious hit right before halftime, and he didn't return. And We already know who the Spiders were going to then. Turns out to be a young freshman by the name of Ashton Snellsire. Walk-on redshirt freshman quarterback. And he guides the Spiders through wind and rain and everything else to victory. Uh, five for ten through the air, 41 yards. He was picked once. that went for a pick six, but the offense responded to him. Uh, Savon Smith, the veteran running back, had 106 yards rushing and a touchdown. And Nick DiGennaro had a couple of big catches in there, one that went for 56 yards and a score. And the Spider defense obviously did, did a great job great job in keeping stony brook off the board and look i'll say one more thing and then we got to get we got to get to the break and and russ huseman said this post game and jasmine coleman and i and matt who've been doing these games a long time you know said it on the air none of us are saying this was like the greatest win in richmond football history uh because they beat a winless team that has struggled for the last several years as a matter of fact in stony brook so no one no one's ready to give the spiders a trophy off of this win But it was in terrible conditions in a place the Spiders hadn't run one in a decade. And they had more than just quarterbacks hurt. A couple of offensive linemen went out. They wound up playing with two redshirt freshman offensive linemen. A defensive end went out of the game. Um, Injuries are part of it, but they were plentiful Saturday. So I think Coach Huseman put it in terms of rewarding, one of the most rewarding, one of the most gratifying wins since he's been the head coach at Richmond. I would absolutely concur with that. Look, we didn't think we were going to figure out much about this Richmond team for quite some time, primarily because of the schedule, which is just not good. Let's cut right to the chase, and we've said it enough times. Look, Richmond lost that first game, stubbed its toe to a Morgan State team that has one win. And they've been very competitive. They've played almost more they've played more CA teams than Richmond has played at this point. And they lost another close one in double overtime to Albany on Saturday. But look, they have one win. Richmond lost him. Michigan State was the FBS. We know the struggles and problems Michigan State has had. Uh, the coaching change. Uh, they got beat again this past week. They're still an FBS, okay? Uh, then you go to Delaware State. They haven't won a game yet this year. Richmond beat them. Stony Brook hasn't won a game yet this year. Richmond beat them. So who knows? But you got to win the games that are on your schedule. And the Spiders have now kind of right at the ship pending the personnel and who they're going to have come Saturday against a 2-1 and Hampton team that's coming to Richmond, playing its first CA game of the season on the Spiders' family weekend. Spiders should be favored to win this game. But as they learned against Morgan State, and that lesson better stay with them, they better come out and play good, solid football to keep this thing going. But it was a gratifying, rewarding win Saturday on Long Island at Stony Brook. We'll take a break. When we come back, uh, back to um, Virginia football, Mike Barber from the Richmond Times-Dispatch uh, joins us to analyze everything we've talked about with the Virginia Cavaliers and more when he joins us next
0: on the Sports Auto. Dallas Cowboys all season is 1061 ESPN. Brought to you by Arthur's Electric and Park and & Go.
1: Uh, 533 on the sports shuttle let's keep it rolling on a monday afternoon bob black back with you 1061 espn let's get back to more of our talk on virginia and the stunning maybe discouraging certainly heartbreaking defeat that they had um to NC State on on Friday night at Scott Stadium. Mike Barber from the Richmond Times-Dispatch covering the Cavaliers joins us at RTD underscore Mike Barber if you want to follow him on Twitter, which we certainly encourage you to do as well as reading his stories and columns either in the paper or online at richmond.com. Mike, good afternoon. How are you? I'm excellent.
3: Uh, Better than the Virginia football team. So thanks for asking.
1: Uh, Mike, I can't get past – the three penalties at the end of the game. I really can't. I mean, they're just so undisciplined um, in such a critical moment of the game. How do you think they kind of, you know, work through those unsportsmanlike conduct penalties, all of which could have been avoided? Yeah,
3: it's really interesting because when I went to write about uh, the game, you know, you just kind of look back on, 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 some history in the past. And I realized that it was a year ago that they had a string of, penalties against Duke in a loss in Durham, uh, and Tony Elliott described himself as being irate, and he threatened to, to bench guys who got undisciplined penalties. Um, I'll be curious tomorrow when we spend some time with him if he strikes the same tone. They did get better last season uh, as the year went on, but to see it kind of rear its head again is, I think it's alarming uh, more so than a year ago, right? A year ago, it's year one. You're figuring things out, all of that. Uh, here you are, year two. That that should be behind you, uh, and to see it cost them a ball game, uh, it is. It was pretty stunning.
1: Um, I don't want to pick them apart too much, but but just a little bit. To me, you know, so the first two, uh, they let their emotions get the better of them in both of those cases. One by a veteran player, one by a young player. How about the third one, Mike? I mean, this is a penalty on the blocked uh, on the on the blocked field goal that there's just no way coaches coach to make a play like that. They certainly know the rules. They understand the rules. That's the one that kind of has me scratching my head, to be honest with you.
3: Yeah, well, there's two things about that penalty. One, I do think it, even though it's during the whistle, I think it's a play of emotion. I think you're just trying to get to the ball Mm -hmm. and forget exactly what you just said, that everybody's coached that you can't go over the long snapper. That that's not a new rule anymore, right? (laughs) I mean, there was a year or two where it was kind of forgivable because it was new and you had to remember Uh, it's not a new rule. Uh, These guys who are coming up have been playing with this rule for a long time. So that part of it was shocking. The other thing, though, is if you go back and watch the replay, when James Jackson does leap over the long snapper and block the kick, that's a pretty straight and true kick. I think if he doesn't do that, it's splitting the uprights anyway. Uh,
1: Hmm.
3: So there's that. I don't know if that makes you feel any better. (laughs) Uh, But certainly, you know, certainly all three of the penalties were avoidable. Um, And really, you take out any one or two of them, and you've got a much better chance to win the game. But, Bobby, it just felt, you know, it's funny, I turned to David Thiel, who was sitting next to me in the press box uh, when they were down eight, and I said, you know what? It feels like the most crushing Virginia thing would be to score the touchdown and then not get the two-point conversion. And then they score the touchdown and back themselves up and still get the two-point conversion, and they found a more Virginia way uh, to lose it at the end. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I think that's the one that will get kind of lost in the shuffle, the unsportsmanlike conduct on on Furnish for the headbutt because they had a miraculous catch. Malachi Fields goes up and grabs it in the end zone. So he's probably not in the headline as much as the other two because of that. And, and by the way, just once, I want to, like, sit between your left shoulder and David Teal's right shoulder and listen to you two guys talk during a football game. That would be so fascinating.
3: We, we have a lot of great conversations, and uh, most of the time I would say they pertain to the game we're watching, um, but there have certainly been more than a few times over the years where I've looked over at his computer, he's looked over at mine, and uh, either we've got another game on because our game is decided, or, or in particularly uh, big moments in American politics, we've we've had some times where we've looked over on each other's screen and said, what do you... What are you reading? <laughs> but, yeah, the football talk is, is pretty high level. It's
1: enjoyable. Yeah, I, I think it would absolutely be fascinating. From your dealings with the youngster, with Anthony Calandria, and I saw his comments after the game. He, he, he stood up for it, you know, made, made mention, you know, his mistake, all of that. How do you think he reacts and responds um, to that crushing of a way to uh, lose a football game?
3: It'll be interesting to see. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he's still the guy, right? They've maintained all along that when Tony Musket is healthy, he'll get his job back. Uh, I think Calandria has done some things to maybe alter that thinking, but at the same time, I, I would say this. If if this is what Anthony Calandria is, and the coaches believed that Tony Musket is better, then maybe Tony Musket's got something <laughs> to show us, because... That's pretty encouraging. I think Calandria showed something in the way he brought the team back in this game, right? That's a down pass, and then to not get rattled by the penalty that backs up the two point conversion up to the 18 yard line. I mean, that was wild. So I think Anthony Calandria has shown us time and again that, you know, he can take a lick and, and get back up, and, um, you know, whether it's a big hit or, or just a down moment, uh, he's a guy who's got some resilience to him. And I think if he gets the crack at Boston College, He's going to show that, and it's going to be an interesting decision.
1: Oh, speaking of decisions, Mike, way to to lead me into this. There were the two fourth-down decisions that Tony Elliott made, Uh, one to go for it when I know you believe he should not have, and then the second one later in the game when he didn't go for it, kicked the field goal, and you and I both believe he should have gone for it um you know what what kind of conversation has there been about that and particularly the second one because I thought that was really an opportunity for him to say all right boys we're coming together here I got confidence in the offense even if we don't make it I got confidence in the defense and that's how we're <laughs> going to win this game and he didn't take that opportunity
3: yeah I, and I asked him I don't know six questions about it in the post game and and he defended his thinking and explained everything about it and Uh, look, hey, it's one of those decisions, both of them, that I think if you're going by the football, you know, rule book, like they got the card for two-point conversions, I understand some of the thinking in in that scenario. But you've got to look at your team and that particular game. And I thought the first one, uh, fourth and short at midfield, it just wasn't worth it. You know, Brendan Armstrong and NC State's offense, they hadn't done anything. Your defense was feeling good about itself. Keep that going. I mean, I thought if Virginia could have been 0-0 at the half, that would have been a huge victory for them and would have really gotten inside the head of Brendan Armstrong, Robert, and I. You know, what are we doing offensively? I thought that to make it, to give Brendan Armstrong the possibility of the short field there, to me was just a huge mistake. And obviously it didn't work out. But again, going back to David and I, I turned to him and said that at the moment. So you can check with him. This isn't revisionist history. I thought that was a bad decision right from the jump. And then, like you said, when you get to fourth and short, yeah, I understand Tony Elliott told me when I asked him afterward, he said, I wanted points. I wanted to get the points. They were right there for the taking. I didn't want to leave the points there, but I don't know how many more chances you're going to get. You had some momentum. Your offense is feeling good. If you're trying to win the game, to me, you need the touchdown there. And that's your chance to get it. So, I mean, I'll be honest. I hated both of those decisions. I thought it was mismanaged and not understanding your team in that particular moment. Tony Elliott knows more football than I do, and he knows his team better. But certainly sitting up there, those felt like two moments where if I'm him and I'm reflecting Saturday night, um, you know, sitting around watching the other games, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done either of
1: those. Yeah, no, like I said, I was on the same page with you, again, particularly the second one, and I use this all the time, and it's an embellishment and an exaggeration, but there's some truth to this. Field goals in the first 58 minutes of the game probably lose you the game. Field goals in the last two minutes of the game can win you a game, but in the first 58, if you can get seven instead of three, you got a better chance to win the game, and I just would have, certainly in the second one, would have gone for it. Hey, the Brendan Armstrong thing, how did all that play out? I mean, obviously, we know the stats, and we know who won the game, but just the, the kind of buzz the vibe the whole brennan armstrong coming back to scott stadium
3: yeah you know i thought brennan handled it really well he he, he really enjoyed it uh, you know had hugs and daps from some guys pregame and post-game there were some boos and some cheers when he came out of the tunnel there were some boos and some cheers the first time he took the field uh, you know certainly when uva was able to pick him off and sack him you got a little bit more juice from the crowd i think they were excited to see that happen Uh, But I thought Brennan handled it well. I think Brennan's handled this season well because regardless of what people down in Raleigh want to tell you, there's not a lot of talent around him offensively. And he's winning games however he can win games. You know, People banged on him for the opener when they beat UConn. They said, well, he hardly threw the ball. He just ran it. It wasn't much of an offense. Okay, but he won the game. (laughs) And I thought that was my takeaway from what he did at Scott Stadium. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, did the kid want to come out and throw for 450 and five touchdowns? Of course. But he did what he needed to do to win the game. And honestly, when they got the ball back with 36 seconds and it's in his hands, you're thinking there's no way he's not going to find a way to get them into field goal range and get this done. Uh, And that's exactly what happened. So I thought he handled it well. I thought the crowd handled it well. I thought that storyline was a lot of fun. And certainly the way things ended for Virginia weren't too much fun.
1: Uh, A couple more from Mike Barber here from the Richmond Times, dispatchrichmond.com. Got to find some positives out of all this. Uh, Malik Washington, another great game. I think it's, what, his third straight 100-yard game, if I'm not mistaken. And defensively, it did seem like, you know, they did a pretty good job, I thought, on Brandon Armstrong and maybe made some strides, Mike. Yeah, you and
3: I are locked up on this. I mean, the column I wrote after the game was about how I thought the defense maybe turned the corner with with what they were able to do, big third-down stops. I thought they did a better job of pressuring on third down, of understanding their personnel and bringing pressure from different spots. We saw Cohen King on a blitz from the corner. We saw James Jackson on a blitz from linebacker. We saw Chico Bennett getting pressure off the edge. So I think you saw John Rodzinski in those situations, trust his guys to dial up the pressure and, and it led to some big stops. I was really encouraged by them defensively, and then Malik Washington's just been outstanding. Uh, the story I just filed before I got on here with you is about <laughs> Malik Washington, how he's undersized and how he wasn't super productive, right, at Northwestern. I mean, he was a guy who was good for catches. You know, he might get you a first down on third and seven, but these big plays—I don't think he had a catch over 43 yards in four years at Northwestern, mm-hmm. and he's got one in each game of the last three games. He's the first Virginia receiver. Uh, since Dontavian Wicks, he's only the third all-time, It's Jermaine Crowell, Dontavian Wicks, and Malik Washington, to have three straight 100-yard receiving games. So um, he is a big-time playmaker right now, and I don't know if anyone predicted that out of him.
1: Hey, Mike, I'll finish up by looking ahead just a little bit, and at least for the next month or so, would it be fair to say the next two weeks are Virginia's best chances for wins at Boston College, and I'm not taking anything away from William and Mary. You know that I certainly wouldn't uh, do that. As good as they are at the FCS level, and there's another homecoming kind of coming there, of course, with Mike London coming back. But that hopefully they can find a way to taste victory for the first and maybe first and second times of the year.
3: Yeah, I think the best way to say about is the schedule lets up a little bit, yeah. right? It was brutal to start. The first four games were really tough and really bad matchups. Um, now you've got games that are closer to toss-ups, and I know Virginia fans don't want to hear it, but William & Mary is really good, so that's a toss-up game. Uh, Boston College has struggled, but uh, you know they're finding some things offensively. That's a toss-up game. It's going to be so interesting to see what they do at quarterback. Do they stay true to their word and say if Tony Musk gets healthy, he's the guy? Does he get these two mm-hmm. more winnable games, play well and win? Uh, do they stick with Calandria, chance to build some momentum? But you know these guys... Regardless of anything else, they need a win. They need a win in that locker room, and uh, certainly they've got some chances coming up, and and if you let those slip away, uh, you start to worry about where might this season spiral.
1: Yep, absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. Thank you, as always, Mike, and I'm glad you are able to get that story in before you talk to us today, and we look forward to chatting with you again moving forward.
3: We're always trying to hit the deadlines, right? Yeah. Thanks for having me,
1: Bob. Yeah. yeah, Thank you. But those moving deadlines in this day and age, uh, obviously. Thank you, Mike. Really, really appreciate that. And, look, I, I'm going to say this also. Um, I, I know the old hard and fast rule, guys don't lose starting positions because of injury. But there's an exception to every rule. And sometimes a guy just earns the start. He he replaces you. It's the old Wally Pip thing, right? The whole um, you know, lost this lost his starting job with the Yankees and all all of that 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 come that comes along. You know, Lugar comes out and replaces him and never never comes out of lineup again. Calandria has earned another start here, no matter how healthy Musket is. If you ask me, I mean. You know, 18 of 30, 271 yards, two touchdowns. Yes, he threw the interceptions, sacked a couple times. I don't know if this offensive line or him, you know, had the the kind of boneheaded play at the end where he let the emotions get the better of him. He rushes for 43 yards. Um, I think he's an exciting player, and I think Tony Elliott needs some excitement right now. And I think Anthony Calandria could be that exciting player. So I would be very disappointed if he's still not a quarterback the next couple of weeks and see what he can do for UVA. Uh, all right, 547, take our final break. We'll come back and wrap it up. Uh, it's been a pretty rapidly moving Monday edition of the Sports SportsCenter. We hope you agree, and we'll finish it up for you next on one oh six one ESPN.
0: As Blink-182 once eloquently stated, work sucks, I know. Well, we too know that work sucks. And while we may not have roses by the stairs, we do have podcasts of all our shows and interviews available at ESPNRichmond.com and on the iHeartRadio app. Just search ESPN Rich-
1: Speaking of that, we certainly invite you to come out to the Brass Tap Libby Mill Midtown uh, right off of Staples Mill Road not too far from West Broad Street out there for the coaches radio show Thursday from noon to one have lunch out there the food excellent a um, lot of fun would love for you to be a part of it come talk some college spider football with us have lunch uh, meet coach Usman. we'll have a player guest out there Thursday as well it's on from noon to one and you can hear it live here on 1061 ESPN but we would love to have you out there with us in the restaurant at the brass tap. Libby Mill Midtown Thursday, every Thursday during the college football season from noon until 1. They made Uh, an
2: interview with a punter sound great.
1: Well, that sounded great because he's great and he's Australian, and he gave that Australian accent the whole time. I thought that was great.
2: That was the best interview I've ever heard with a punter, to be honest.
1: (laughs) Try one with Tress Way of the Washington Commanders. He's awesome. We we used to interview every, every training camp when they were here in Richmond. It was like our favorite interview. Um, And we saved him, like, towards the end because he was so entertaining. So, But I'll pass that along to Aaron Trussler, that you enjoyed that conversation with him. He's a great young man, great kid, very happy to learn he's going to be back for another year uh, next year before he goes back. He hasn't been home to Australia since he came over here in 2021. Really amazing. Uh, Anyway, let me finish with a quick text, uh, 804-327-0888. Uh, tribe bill is always chiming in and listening we appreciate that support there uh bill and he said hey bob congrats to richmond stony brook always a tough place to win tribe is 4-0 but lost its best player uh bronson yoder to a severe shoulder career ending injury and that that is heartbreaking. That is tough to take. I'd heard about the injury. I talked with John O'Connor, who was at the game from the Times-Dispatch. He didn't have, That was midday today. Didn't really have an update on whether it would be career-ending or not. I guess, Bill, you've got some intel, some inside info. This is coming from Tribe Bill here that it seems like that's a career-ending injury, and that, that stinks. That just absolutely stinks for him he, he's one of the star players in the CAA one of those guys you say he's worth the price of admission one of those guys who's been around a long time he is one of those guys that when you're an opponent the ultimate respect when fans or media say wow feels like he's been there for like 15 years because he's you know he's been that good for that long and Bronson Yoder Uh, certainly in that category bill said uh, Elon and UVA both on the road next two games will be tougher for the tribe without him injuries are part of the game but sad for the young man hate to see it for any player or team couldn't agree more uh, thank you for that, Bill. Really, really, and, and that really is. That That stinks. And they're having a great year, and they're going to continue to be good because they're talented and they're deep. Uh, but you'd like to see a guy like that go out better than, than uh, with an injury like that one. So uh, all the best wishes to Bronson Yoder over there at William & Mary all right thanks for tuning in this afternoon uh, greatly appreciate uh you tuning in thanks to scott allen from the washington post joined us in the four o'clock hour to talk to commanders and mike barber just a few minutes ago from the Richmond times dispatch talking uva really excited tomorrow at 4 30 damian woody of espn uh, the former nfl standout two-time super bowl champ with the pats pro bowler uh, now espn football analyst and come Thursday, he will be Patrick Henry High Hall of Famer. First-ever class of Hall of Famers at Patrick Henry High up there in Ashland. Damian Woody's going to join us live at 4.30 to talk all about that tomorrow afternoon. AJ, thank you. Over there in the producer's booth, we'll talk to all of you tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Matt Joseph joins me in the first hour for our mashup Tuesday. And then Damian Woody at 4.30 on tomorrow's Sports Up.
2: For some, it's the
3: luxury that captivates.